You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. See you guys out there. Mono's clients, good to see you. You know, you think you chose to come over here, but actually God drew you over here. He has something for you. Something struck me this morning. It has nothing to do with the message. It has nothing to do with the songs we played. Although, thank the Lord for the worship. Came through the song that Ron actually played through CD. He is faithful. And I hope you caught a couple of the expressions, the verses in that song. The resurrection life of Christ is in us. Uh Uh-huh. That's what I'm getting at. Amen. Amen. I said the resurrection life of Christ, the living Christ, is within us. The power of the risen Christ is coursing through our veins. We sang that as if he's still dead. Honestly, it struck me. I'm in that boat too. And I thought, we're singing about the resurrection power of Christ. All the power that God exerted to raise Christ from the dead exists within us. The power of Christ courses through our veins, and we sing it, and we worship, and we live like he's still dead, like he didn't resurrect from the grave. That's the way we live our lives, powerless, excitementless, enthusiasmless. If you would turn around and look at our congregation, including me, you'd say the resurrection Life of Christ is in us? The power of Christ is in us? It doesn't look like it. And so if that's what we're seeing on each other, what's the world seeing on us? We act, we worship, we pray, we live like he's still dead. Am I right? Come on. God is desperately trying to change that. Why am I back so far today? Did somebody think I was going to bite your heads off? Somebody knew what was coming. Got me pushed way back against the altar here. So we're in Acts chapter 9. Man, if there's one thing you see in the book of Acts, two things. You see the resurrection life of Christ in those believers. You see the power of Christ flowing through those believers that nothing could stand against. Yep, some of them lost their life. But nothing could stand against that power. God was getting accomplished what he wanted to accomplish through those believers. The beginning verses of this chapter, 
chapter contained the account of the conversion of Saul. He was a former religious terrorist, soon to become the amazing Apostle Paul. And we titled the first two sermons in this passage, The Conversion of Saul, Part 1, Part 2. We said there were two lessons or principles that we could draw for application from each of those sermons. We have covered three of the four. Two the first week, only one last week because we stopped short to have corporate prayer for Dakota. Is there an update, Melanie? Well, we're, we're praying, we're battling, we're fighting for complete healing and complete restoration. And not only for healing in this moment, but for the full destiny, plans, and purposes that God has for Dakota. That's what we're going for. As we pray, that's what we're going for. Your unbelief may try to raise up against that. Press through it. Press through it anyhow. And pray. And fight. And if God calls us to actually do something, we'll be talking about that today, doing something as well as praying, we do it. Okay? So we're not going to go for anything less than complete healing and restoration. You know, what if we pray for it? Now, let me go the other way. What if we don't pray for it and it's what God wants to do? We've got to press for the whole enchilada, so to speak. We've got to press for God's, the greatness of God is full will in this. At least that's what's been on my heart. Today, I hope to do a quick review of these first three lessons that we had and then cover the fourth one. So here we go. Today's title, Lessons from the Conversion of of Saul. Lesson number one, lost souls matter greatly to God. We mentioned this is actually a motto of the CMA, our denomination. Lost souls matter to God. Would you say that with me and say it and say it as we mean it? Lost souls matter greatly to God. Again. Again. Yeah, let your brain hear that so you begin to think it. Ready? Lost souls. With gusto. Lost souls. One more time. This is a truth that's going to become especially relevant to us in the days ahead because this is what God's all about. We touched last week on how much lost souls really matter to God. For this is how much. God loved the world, human souls, people. He gave, his only one, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Lost souls matter that much to God. He gave his one and only son, Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, the son of man, Jesus, he came to seek and to save lost souls. Lost souls matter greatly to Jesus. That's what he's all about. God gave his son Jesus for lost souls. His son Jesus gave his life for lost souls. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise to return. Some people think he is. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. This is a reference to Jesus coming back. Lost souls are the primary reason Jesus came to earth the first time. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. 
Lost souls are the primary reason he has not yet come back to earth the second time because there's so many lost souls yet to be saved. And he's waiting not on the lost souls. It can re- we think it reads like that. I'm very patient waiting on the lost souls, but that's not what it says. It says, I'm very patient waiting on you, church. I'm waiting on you to reach those lost souls. I'm very patient. I would have come back a long time ago, but I'm waiting on my people. Hi, Tenley. I didn't even know you were here. (laughs) I'm waiting on you, church, to bring in these lost souls. For those of us who bemoan that Jesus hasn't come back yet because life gets so tough, there's a way to bring him back. Get serious about reaching lost souls for Christ. We, we want to add one verse to this point that we didn't cover the last time. What do, you, what, does, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? That's a powerful verse. Is there anything more valuable to God than a lost soul being saved? <clears throat> Is there anything worth more to God than a human soul? And the answer is a resounding no. Lost souls matter greatly to God. It drives all that he does. Everything he does, directly or indirectly, is to this end, to reach lost souls. That's the the age that we're in. It will end one day, and there'll be no more lost souls because they'll be in the lake of fire. And then we won't have this mission. This leads to the next lesson. God will go to great length to reach one lost soul. How much lost souls matter to God is evidenced by the great lengths God will go to reach one lost soul. We see it here in Acts with Saul. We saw it with the Ethiopian government official. We see it in the teaching of some parables Jesus gave us. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one That is lost. And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it. More than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones perish. Jesus uses the picture of a shepherd with a heart of passion for his sheep to illustrate God's heart towards lost souls. The great length God will go to for the sake of one lost soul. Each one extremely important. And just just a thought that comes to me, as we view our world today, and there's so much evil and we can get so angry, just remember this, never devalue something that God highly values or values highly. Never devalue something that God values highly, and that's lost souls. The worst of the worst. We don't compromise with evil. We take our stand. We pray against evil. But we're always concerned for the soul to get saved. God's not willing that any should perish. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, She will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Any of you that have ever led a person to the Lord, you know that feeling. 
You can suffer trials. And you can be persecuted. And you can go through hell on earth serving Christ. And then one soul comes to know him and it was all worth it. Come on. Some amens on that. It's all worth it. One lost soul makes a lifetime of suffering worthwhile. That's why Jesus died on the cross. It says, for the joy set before him, because he saw the number of souls that were not going to end up in the lake of fire, but would spend eternity with him and his father. He was willing to suffer the things that he suffered. It says he bore the contradiction of sinners against himself. One thing that we need to get out of a mindset in the church is us and them. It's not us and them. We want them to become us. We're standing against evil, but we don't stand against them per se. Are you following what I'm saying? Light a lamp, sweep the entire house, search carefully, search diligently, relentlessly until the coin is found. Represents the great length and effort God will go for one lost soul. There's one reason and one reason only. God has not come down harshly in judgment on the evil in our nation. And it's because he's giving time for remorse and repentance. He's giving time for anyone who will turn to turn to him. And at the same time, he's waiting on the church to become his effective agent to bring those folks to himself. But rest assured, because God actually told me this very, very clearly, I will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. Justice and judgment are coming. I am coming soon, and I am coming powerfully through you, the church. That day is coming very quickly. The reason he hasn't come is because of his concern for lost souls. Third lesson changes direction somewhat. God works through believers. This is still all review. God works through believers to accomplish his will on earth. Please do not underestimate this statement. It's not my word like a hammer that smashes the rock in pieces, says the Lord. And one of the rocks in our thinking, one of the strongholds in our thinking, is that God's just going to do this. We got saved. We got our fire insurance. We're in the church. Life is good. We're concerned about that, but he's going to do that. That's a falsehood. This is something God is urgently and earnestly trying to get through to his people in these days. God works through believers to accomplish his will on earth. It's a general principle across a broad area. Covers a lot of stuff. In our context today, it's especially relevant to salvation. God works through believers to accomplish his will on earth. God works through believers to accomplish his salvation in others. How many of you that came to know the Lord came to know the Lord apart from any other believer influencing your life? Not a hand. Your salvation was dependent on some believer being obedient to God. How many other salvations out there is dependent on us being obedient to God? 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, that's another thing God is dealing with, our, our, our thinking in that we, this low estate in which we live. As we started out, the resurrection life of Christ is in us. The power of the resurrected Christ flows through our veins. Oh, if God could just get that through to us. But we've been bombarded for years, for decades, for centuries, that that's not really true. That doesn't really play out in your daily life. Now to him who is able to do so much more than all we could ever ask and imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. We have no problem believing God can do. More than all we even ask or imagine, God can do. By his power. But faith breaks down when we see that it says, through us. Acts 4.30 makes this very clear. Stretch out your hand of power. Stretch out your hand of power. Let's make that a prayer right now. Let's all just say this. Stretch out your hand of power through us to heal, to move in signs and wonders by the name of your Holy Son, Jesus. Save, heal, move in mighty acts of power, signs and wonders through us. It's not apart from us. It's not independent of us. It's through us. God uses us to accomplish his will on earth as it is in heaven. God works through believers to accomplish his will on earth. Through prayer and through actions. Could God heal Dakota without any help from us? Could he do that? Of course he could. But he designed it that he works through believers to accomplish his will on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why there's this clarion call for so many believers to be praying. God's not going to do it apart from the church. Not just this church, the church. God's not going to do it apart from believers. So far we've been praying, we've been praying, we've been praying. God's been moving. God may just tap some believer to walk into Dakota's room and bring the healing. That's foreign to our thinking. But that could very well happen. Can I at least get a nod of the head on that? That could very well happen. When God wants to accomplish something on earth, he looks for believers who are willing to co-labor with him to do so. That's why we're praying as hard as we are. That's why we're not giving up. As long as there's breath, we won't give up. Now, it's through prayer for sure. This then is how you should pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is without question the primary way God uses believers to accomplish his will. Individual prayer, you and me praying. Corporate prayer, you and me praying together. In agreement, as Justin always teaches us. 
But it can be more than prayer as well. We've seen in Acts how God is using these guys in action to accomplish his will. Not just prayer, but we're going to see again today through action, Ananias. Again, I need to say this, and you need to listen. Everybody listening. Although Saul had this amazing supernatural encounter with the Lord Jesus, Jesus did not lead him to salvation. Jesus only got Saul's attention and prepared his heart to receive salvation. Ananias is going to lead him to salvation. Salvation has to spread through the human race through man. Because man sinned, salvation has to come through man. That's why Jesus became a man. Son of God became a man to bring salvation to the human race. God couldn't just overlook the sin. He had to go to great lengths to bring salvation to a sinful human race through a sinful human race. Following that, it's so important. God doesn't come to anybody, twist their arm and get them saved. When he works and works to prepare a person's heart, then he connects them with a believer who's willing and obedient and leads them to the Lord. The little tweaks in our thinking, I know, but they're so important. Some of us are blaming God for not working mightily when God's saying, I can't. I'm waiting on you. We're waiting on you, God. Where is it? I'm waiting on you, church. Leading folks into salvation is the role, it's the assignment God has given the church. Not angels, not even the Holy Spirit. Are they all instrumental in it? Yes. But salvation goes from person to person, through person to person. As we will see, Jesus did not tell Ananias to sit tight and pray while he led Saul into salvation. This is something God is greatly emphasizing to us, to the church in these days. I am not diminishing prayer at all. It's the primary way. But there's action that gets added to prayer. As we pray, God tells us what to do, and we do it. And that's when his will is accomplished. Are you with me? It's so much more than many of us thought salvation was. And honestly, if I could just convey this somehow, it's so much more exciting than what many of us think the Christian life is. We think we get saved, maybe we turn over a new lease on life, and then we struggle through either till we die or Jesus comes back. And that's not the picture of salvation painted in Scripture at all. It's this exciting journey with the Lord. Being part of accomplishing all the amazing things that he wants to accomplish. That's always been true. That's going to be especially true in these days ahead. Does anybody out there believe me? This is the fourth and final lesson. Jesus' followers are to know, to hear, and to listen to his voice. And I would say if there's been a breakdown in the church, it's in this area. Many of us, most of us, don't know how to hear the Lord's voice. We wander aimlessly through life. We're saved. We're not talking about salvation here. We're saved. 
But we don't know how to hear the Lord's voice in daily life and walk with him in this exciting journey that he has. For most of it's, us, it's a hope so. When God intends it to be a no so. You know, the actual definition of faith is a knowing. It's a knowing. It's knowing God. It's knowing what God is saying, and it's knowing what to do. That's the essence of the Christian life. That has been so lost over the years to the church. That's why we walk as if Jesus is still dead. Dead men don't speak. And if he's dead, we're not hearing him. If in our minds he's still dead, or if he's a million miles away in heaven somewhere, we're not hearing him. And yet Paul told the the folks in Acts, he said, God is much closer to you than you'd ever imagine. And then, of course, for us believers, Jesus said, he's within you. I'm always with you, and, and and we will be within you. And if you read in the Passion Translation, I love the way he interprets in the Psalms that it's the, it's the, I can't get the word, the wraparound. Wraparound is the word. We walk in the wraparound presence of God. We walk, we walk. Whether we know it or not, if you're a believer, you do walk in this. It's not a matter of whether it's true or not. It's a matter of whether we're experiencing it or not. It is true. We walk in the wraparound presence of God. He's with us all the time. He's around us, and he's within us. It's a matter that we tap into that. Just real quickly, and Dawn, a good question for Tuesday night would be, how do we keep ourselves in a place that we can tap into that? Or how do we even walk to tap into that? But one one thing is living for that. Spending time with him. Stop living so much for the things of this life. I'm not talking about gross sin. As far as I know, none of you are really out there involved in gross sin. But many of us are just living life for much lesser things than the wraparound presence of God, of knowing him, of hearing his voice, and of serving him. We have so many other things on our mind. Thank you. Because what I just said is true. We're living for so many other things. Even though Jesus said very clearly, stop loving the world and the things of the world. They're going to pass away. Jesus' followers are to know his voice. Hear his voice. Listen to his voice. Before we can ever be used by God to accomplish his will on earth, before we can ever really experience that resurrection life, that fullness of power. Do you know there's a verse that says the entire Godhead dwells in you? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwells in you. And it's true whether you're experiencing it or not, if you know the Lord. It is true. The call of God these days is to begin walking in that experience, encounters with him, making this real. We need it, but the world desperately needs it. We're at least going to heaven when we die. The world is not, and it needs to see that in us. 
Thank you. Before we can ever be used of God to accomplish these powerful things that he says he's going to do through us, we must first know his voice. It's all dependent on that. If you launch out in your own thinking and you haven't heard his voice, that's going to be miserable failure. It's hard to know which one's worse, indifference, complacency, and not doing anything, or just launching out in like, a, like a bull in a china closet but not hearing his voice. Neither one of them are effective. There's this road, there's this path we walk as believers where we know his voice, we hear him speaking to us. We know what he's telling us to do and we do it. Does that sound like too much? Does that sound like too much? The example of Ananias. There was a believer in Damascus. His name was Ananias. And Luke actually does give him a name, but he's just another one of those ordinary believers, just like you and me, whom God uses in extraordinary ways, mighty, powerful ways. Probably if you ask the average non-believer if they've ever heard of the Apostle Paul, the answer would be yes. If you ask them if they heard of Ananias, what would the answer be? But without Ananias, there'd be no Apostle Paul. Ordinary believers used of God to do extraordinary things. That's God's way. That's who he is. There's only a few Apostle Pauls. There's many of us ordinary believers that God wants to use mightily. The first step in, in getting to that point is believing he wants to use us and setting ourselves to become accustomed to hearing his voice. He so wants to speak to us much more than we want to listen. The Lord spoke to him, that's Ananias, in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Do you realize there's a conversation? When was the last time you had a conversation with the Lord? He spoke and you spoke, and you spoke and he spoke. And you knew he spoke. You knew he spoke. He didn't have to guess. Ananias didn't have to guess. He said, yes, Lord. Then the Lord said. It's conversation between an ordinary believer and the Lord, the resurrected Christ. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. Who says God's not practical? Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, laying hands on him so he can see again. That's remarkable, right? That's so far from our experience, right? Maybe not all of you, but for most of us. The Lord spoke to him, and the Lord said, all through Scripture, all through Scripture, God speaks to his people. And as, when, as we have learned recently, when he speaks... He often gives very specific instructions. They lead to divine appointments. Remember Philip and the Ethiopian? Go south, take this road. See, if Philip would have taken a different road, the Ethiopian wouldn't have been on it. It had to be this road. Philip had no way of knowing that unless God told him. Are you getting this? Now to Ananias. Go over to Straight Street. 
to the house of Judas. A man named for, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. I've shown him a vision of you coming. He knows you're coming. He knows you're going to lay your hands on him so he can see again. He knows you're going to heal him of his blindness. You talk about specific instructions and divine appointments, and that's a very exciting way to live. And most of us don't. Most of us think that's not even possible for us. Amen? Come on. Most of us think that's not even possible for us. Unless you're really not that much into God and you're just putting time in until you can get to heaven, this makes life exciting. The Lord spoke to him, and somehow it was very clear to him. The Lord spoke to him, and really that should not be unusual or out of the ordinary. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep listen to my voice. They follow me. Some versions, my sheep know my voice. So my sheep know my voice. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep know my voice, hear my voice, and they follow me. That's the, the normal, traditional Christian life, the way it's supposed to be. Not a wander, wandering, wandering aimlessly through life, hoping maybe we'll hit God's will in some of this stuff. According to Jesus, his followers are to know his voice. They are to hear his voice. They are to listen to his voice. They are to do then what he says. They follow and they carry out his instructions. And remarkable things happen. Immeasurably more than we can ask or think. Through us. If none of this is true, and we're not operating or functioning, experiencing this, then those immeasurable things that he wants to do through us, they're not going to happen either. And that's pretty much where we walk as the church these days. There are pockets there are pockets that have, have tapped into this, but for the most church, most, for the most part, this is where the church walks these days. It is very low estate. And then we wonder why God's not moving, and we blame him for not moving. Can you agree with that? This is a beautiful picture of Jesus as the good shepherd and believers as sheep who know, hear, and are led by their shepherd's voice, voice, voice. True sheep are not deceived by the voice of a stranger. And there are so many voices in this world right now. And there are so many believers who are being deceived by the many voices in this world right now because they don't know the voice of their Lord and Savior. Rest of the story. But Lord, <laughs> exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers. But the Lord said, go, for Saul was my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. So Ananias went, and he found Saul, and he laid his hands on him. And instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. 
Ananias is going to lead Saul to the Lord, and he healed him. God didn't even heal him of the blindness. Ananias did. So far beyond our thinking because of where we're at. Not intentionally. I don't think there's a person in here saying, well, I'm not going to believe that. But all of us are struggling with a level of unbelief. This is not the exhaustive details, but it gives the gist of the account. A conversation ensues between Ananias and the Lord Jesus. Ananias mildly protests, mildly protests the Lord's instructions, but Lord, and the Lord basically said, hey, I know what I'm doing, go. And Ananias went, and of course it happened just as the Lord said it would. Why argue with the Lord, right? Ananias, you think I don't know that? I got it under control. God's got this, right, right Mel? God's got this. Ananias, I got this. You just go. We didn't include it on the screen, but it says very clearly after this experience with Ananias that Saul was baptized. Almost for certain, Ananias did with Saul what Philip did with the Ethiopian government official, led him to the Lord, baptized him, sent him on his way to serve the Lord. Just a real quick note. If you haven't been baptized since you came to know the Lord, that's a next step. Please see me. Conclusion. The conclusion is this. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. The Lord and Ananias, the obscure ordinary believer that we never hear of again, co-laboring to redeem and reconcile this soul to the Father who became the greatest missionary that the church ever knew. The Lord and Ananias working together to accomplish this. Don't miss that. The Lord and whoever was instrumental in you coming to know the Lord, working together for your salvation. May have been one, it may have been many. But God didn't just save you apart from other believers. Just a real quick story. I know I get long up here, but so Deb and I, we didn't, we didn't know any true believers growing up. I, I don't think. I didn't. And then we got saved. Through, through people talking to us and everything, but we're like, man, this is, this is crazy. Well, we found out she had, she had a wacky aunt and uncle. At least we thought they were wacky, and the reason we did was because they were so religious, right? Well, we found out that her wacky aunt and uncle were believers, and they had been praying for us since the day we got married to get saved. And then we walked into a Sunday school class up at the E-Town Church, and when the Sunday school teacher, who's the one who led me to the Lord, introduced us to them, they're like, oh, that's up and dead. We've been praying for you guys for months. The Lord and his church, the Lord and believers, the Lord and you working together to accomplish his will on earth. Most of us know the outcome. The terrorist Saul became the apostle Paul. Way to go, Ananias. There's a guy who's going to hear, well done, thou my good and faithful servant. And everything that Paul did, guess what? And only God can do this. Everything that Paul accomplished in his life, some of it will go to Ananias' credit. Ananias is going to get royalties off of what Paul accomplished. 
summarize this. There's four principles that are going to be very important for us in these days ahead. Lost souls matter greatly to God. God will go to great length to reach one lost soul. God works through believers to accomplish his will on earth. Jesus' followers are to know, hear, and follow his voice. Well, that's a full slate from a partial chapter. I have two statements, and then we're going to close. Tiffany, you'll come. If you want to step out a while. I'll make two final statements. Without question, in that early church, Jesus was extremely active, speaking, instructing, leading the believers of that generation. Should it be any different or less real for us today? And if you come up with a reason as to why maybe it should, please let me know. Should it be any different or less real for us today than it was for them? Anyone who puts their trust in me will do the things that I've been doing and even greater things than these, says the Lord. For those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, get ready for the ride of your life. Tiff, if you'll come, we'll stand. Tiffany's going to pray. Wait till you see that everybody's ready and then you can pray and then do the next thing as well. Father, we've heard your word and just like um, scripture, your word is like a hammer. Father, I just first want to pray that um, for any hearts that are resisting your word and your truth, that you would just continue to work. Your word is a seed being planted. And Father, the fact is that you're still speaking. And we, as the church, haven't been listening. We haven't been hearing. We haven't had ears to hear. And so I ask that you would um, give us ears to hear. And like Pastor Hub said, there are so many voices calling out, telling us all kinds of things. And our ears have heard those things. And I just repent of that. I repent of hearing the things that the world has told me over the things that you've been speaking. And as I was praying about this, I just thought, man, Ananias could have been doing other things. He could have been unavailable. He could have been out getting drunk with his buddies. He could have been um, out pursuing worldly wealth and worldly gain. He could have been gossiping with his neighbor about how terrible Paul was of this guy and totally missed hearing your word and hearing your direction and hearing your call. So, Father, oh, man, 
There's just so much in her life that is vying for our time and vying for attention and vying for our hearts and our souls and our pursuits. And I ask that you would um, purify those things within us, Lord, that we would be more and more and more inclined toward you and your righteousness and your goodness and your plans. And Father, that there would be testimonies coming in the days ahead days ahead of us hearing your voice, having conversations with you, following you, and most importantly, leading people to know you, Father. And Lord, I trust we of course know from your word all these things are true. And I'm not asking for anything um, that's not your will. I know that it's not a shortcoming on your part. I know that it's not that you haven't been speaking, it's that we haven't been listening. So I just ask again that you would give us ears to hear. And I ask that in Jesus' name. And I'm also going to pray for anyone that is um, not well, according to Acts 4.30. And if everyone could just stretch out their hands, because we, like we just heard, are all instruments of doing God's will. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit. For all the sickness, all the illness, all the wrong thought patterns that we've developed, all the lies that we've believed from the world and the flesh and the devil, that you would heal those things in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.